Okay, Luke 24. Um, for you guys that are new, we've been marching from Easter, the resurrection of Christ, through Day of Pentecost, which is actually going to be next Sunday, Day of Pentecost. And we've been kind of going through the historical record of how Christ, what Christ did, and how that is significant for the foundation of our faith. And um, I just love personally studying this. You know, I know some pastors may study to preach. I just study to walk with God, you know. Like, um, I think the worst messages that I've ever preached were messages that I studied to preach, <laughs> you know. And so I find that like 99% of the messages that I'm speaking are messages that I have to preach to myself and that are really for me. So, um, and today I was just, you know, when you teach expositionally, um, one of the fears is, is that if where we are at in the wreck of where we're supposed to be speaking, is that going to be applicable for people's lives today, this hour, this moment? And it's cool, it is. And so I want to just look at um, Luke 24. I want to look at verse 49, and then I want to go to Acts chapter 1. And I just want to talk with you guys about waiting on God. It's about waiting on God. And what does, what does that look like? What does that mean? And we see this here in Acts chapter 1. Um, and let's just read Acts, uh, Luke 24, verse 49. And behold, and Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and mo- moments later he's going to ascend into heaven. And he says, behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Okay, so Jesus is saying, I'm putting something on you. It's a promise. You know, you're, gonna, you're under a promise. I'm going to send the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city. Stay in the city. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm putting a promise on you. It's like Jesus would speak. We see this happen often in the, in the Bible. God speaks, and there's a waiting period. Jesus is crucified, then there's a waiting period before resurrection. And there's that waiting period where, where God speaks to you and I. God gives us a dream. God speaks to us. God puts a desire in our heart. And then there's that waiting period. And he says, I want you to tarry. I want you to tarry here in the city until you are clothed with power on high. So just remember those words as we read the next um, set of verses in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Um, you know, Luke, who writes the book of Luke, segues directly right into Acts chapter 1. So when we're reading Luke 24, uh, we don't even have to... We can, just go, we, can just, we can just go right to the book of Acts and it just picks up right from there. In Acts chapter 1, we see um, the Holy Spirit is promised in the first four through um, eight verses. And then Jesus ascends in verses 9 through... 11 and then there's this upper room prayer meeting and i love how it says that in luke 24 it says that and we said this last week that as the disciples leave the place of the ascension they're rejoicing in their heart and they're worshiping god which is just so opposite of what should have happened naturally there should have been this sorrow and sadness and separation anxiety that the disciples had with 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 their with their savior their lord their leader and so they're rejoicing because they realize that Though Jesus has ascended, they've discovered that he's now inside, that his Holy Spirit dwells by faith in us. And the disciples realize that, and they're like, wow, 
there is no separation. There is no separation between us and Christ. And so Jesus ascends. And then in verse 12, they're in the upper room. There's a prayer meeting going on. And in verse 15, um, I want to look at these verses. And I want to just um, share my opinion on something. And this is not thus say it the Lord. You can take it or leave it. But this is something that I've... Um, my observation in studying these verses. And let's ver- read verses 15 through 26, okay? And does, anybody, does somebody want to read those? Acts chapter 1, 15 through 26. Does somebody have that there? Just start reading if you'd like. Silencio. <laughs> Lizzie, go ahead. You're the teacher in the room. Go ahead. <laughs> 26. 26? Okay. Um, and in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. So and said, Men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before, before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to, who, to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part of in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. So it has like in parentheses. Is that good? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. So that so the field is called in their own language. Akel Dema, that is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, of those men who have accompanied us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day which he was taken up from us, one of those must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed to Joseph called um, for for Sabbath. Is that what? Right. Okay, okay. He <laughs> was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Matthias. "You, huh? Oh, Matthias. Matthias. Oh, thank you. Matthias. Sorry, thank you." And they prayed and said, "You, O Lord, who know the heart of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry." an apostleship um, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place, and they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with eleven apostles. So I think when you read this, when you're reading the first chapter of Acts, it's easy to pass over this like, okay, they had to fill the spot. I think when you read this, and you understand what's happening, in the context of what Jesus said to the disciples, wait in the city until power comes upon you on high, from on high. This is extremely significant. This is an extremely significant event. And I want to talk about why. I believe it's, it's extremely uh, significant. And what is happening here with Matthias, what's happening with Peter and the disciples. So let's, let's try to imagine what's going on here, okay? Here is, just put yourself in Peter's place. You're now, you know, you have been... You have been designated, in your mind, you've been designated by Jesus Christ as the CEO disciple. You know, you're, you know, upon this, 
upon his rock, I'm going to build my church, you know, and Peter hears that maybe in a certain way, and he is, he's a, he's a, he's an action man, he open, open mouth, insert foot, I mean, he's doing that throughout the, all the, we, we always laugh at Peter in the Gospels, and I think that, the, I think that Jesus loved that about Peter, by the way, I think that the more cultured, tactful, educated, um, trained uh, people in Christianity would look at Peter and say, oh, I wouldn't do that. But there's something about Peter's faith that, that Jesus really loved. But anyway, here Peter, Jesus has ascended. They're in the upper room. And, and my, this is my guess. And this is kind of my, what I think is happening. Peter feels the sense that something's got to happen. Okay? He's like, okay, there's 11 of us here. The names are written. There's only 11 of us. Peter's in the upper room. They're waiting for power to come on high. And Peter feels like something needs to happen. And that's human nature, isn't it? That when, when we are, and I, I'm this way. I'm going to be the first one that, in this room to raise my hand that I'm, I'm somebody that enjoys action, activity. Um, and I would do what Peter did here. And so Peter feels like something's got to happen. We've got to fill the place. Peter knows the scripture. He's quoting from David. Uh, in the book of Psalms, somebody has to take his place. And Peter feels at this moment, and this is my assumption, I could be wrong, but just bear with me. He feels at this moment that he has to take the lead as the chief, chief apostle or lead, lead disciple and display some leadership. And so he quotes scripture, he talks about prophecy, and he says, let's choose someone to fill Judas's place. Now, for me, I have a problem there. Because, to me, it goes against what Jesus has said to the disciples. Wait in the city. Wait for the, fill, for the, for the power to come on high. Wait here means, and I want, to, I want to define what waiting means. There's three things I want to say today. I want to talk about what is waiting. What exactly is that? Number two, how are we renewed when we're waiting? And then number three, um, how we are sanctified in the waiting. Okay, those three things I want to talk about. And how we see this happening. And so Peter says, hey, let's do this. And what do they do? They, they pray. Okay, Lord, you know, they do the prayer, which may be, you know, which is a good thing, which may be actually maybe a religious prayer. And then they say, let's do it the way we've always done it. Let's grab the, the Urim and the Thummim and just throw it on the ground and see where God, see where the lot lands. Now, what's wrong with that? For me, what's, for me when I see that, for me, I'm seeing an Old Testament thing that God has orchestrated, bring brought into a New Testament cir- circumstance, and not waiting. And for me, this this speaks this way that that Matthias is chosen, okay, and he's numbered among the twelve, okay. Now, I think most of us know that in the rest of the Book of Acts, we don't see the name Matthias ever again. If you do a concordance study, you see it three times in the Bible, and it's those three times in the book of Acts, chapter 1, and they never see him again. I love the book of Acts because it's a book of just redemption. It never says that was wrong, this was right. It just, by the historical record, you can kind of see where's God working and where's God not working. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, you know, you can take a look and, and maybe not pass judgment, but you can kind of discern what, what God is doing. And so... Matthias, you never hear from him again, but he's numbered among the 12. And 
Maybe somebody can get that door for Christiana. But uh, here's, here's, here's Matthias. Peter does his thing. And he feels in his compulsive nature, impulsive nature, that something has to be done. Now, how many of us can identify with that? We're kind of an I can. <laughs> we get into we get into a we get into a circumstance. We're a little bit like um, I don't know what to do. Something's going to happen. Let's just cast the lots. Yeah. Let's just throw the dice and see what happens. You know. And I remember back in the day, um, our pastor said this. And it really spoke to me. He said, you know, when, and he said this when he was living in New England, and we used to, you know, when we lived in New England, there was just these incredible fog banks that would come in. The fog would be so thick, you could not see, like, when you're driving, you could not see, like, 15 feet in front of you. And, and those were really hard, that really made hard times of driving. And he said that when, whenever he would drive in that kind of condition, uh, he would drive as close to the yellow line on the road that he could and that he would not make any sudden turns. And I think that, like, at this moment in the book of Acts, chapter 1, we see, we see they're, bet- they're between point A and point B, ascension of Christ and then the falling of the Holy Spirit in Acts, chapter 2. And during those points between A and B, um, for me, I can be so ready to do something. And it can be like, God can be like, yeah, that's nice, that's great, that's awesome. But, you know, we never hear more, anything more about it. And um, Matthias gets chosen. My impression, my opinion on this is that this was a decision that was made because somebody felt like they needed to, to show some leadership, they needed to prove something, and that's human nature. And God being the gracious God he is, is not condemning it, but he's just saying, I'm going to put my spirit on some on, on things. I'm going to I'm going to testify. I'm going to witness with what is the work of God. And it's going to get it's going to get um, recorded in Scripture. And then there's going to be other things that it's just not going to be in Scripture. It doesn't mean it was a bad thing. It's just that God was moving in this way, and He wasn't and He wasn't in this, but He was in this. And so, I just want to say that first of all, what is waiting on God? Okay. And I know that maybe this may sound like a Sunday school lesson, but um, I like what Spurgeon said. I'm going, to, I'm going to quote Spurgeon. He said, Keep the posture of an upright man, ready for action, expecting further orders, cheerfully and patiently awaiting the directing voice, and it will not be long before God shall say to you as distinctly as Moses said it to the people of Israel, go forward. I think that waiting on God, as Spurgeon here is talking about, is not the sheepish, defeated, intimidated, beat up attitude that we can so easily get. But it's this, it's a, a sitting upright. Remember when God spoke to Joseph, uh, to Job, and he says, stand on your feet. I want to speak to you. It's this attentiveness. And so waiting on God here is an attentive waiting in the upright posture of a man who understands that God's for him. God's for us. You know what I'm saying? That God is with you. I think we really need to understand that God is with you. God is with you, Christiana. God's with you, really. Every one of this, of us in this room, God is with you. And his hand is on your life, and, and he, he joys in your life. He loves your story, and God is with you. He's walking with you. And I think that when we are waiting, when we're in that foggy weather, and we don't know what to do, and we've got a lot of emotion going on, and I feel that way, especially during COVID. I'll be honest with you guys, as a pastor, like this has been, 
it's been great. It's been awesome. But at the same time, like, you're just wondering, like, wow, you know, we, we moved here. Then Harvey happened. And then everything, you know, kind of, like, hit the reset button. And we got going again in September at the CCS. And that got reset. And here we are back. It's, like, square zero, you know? And you're wondering, like, okay, where, what's going on? And I think that when it's foggy, I think that it's easy for, for our human nature to feel like I got to prove something, I got to lead, I got to do something because um, Peter's thinking my leadership's on the line or I got to prove myself. I got to show these guys that I'm up for the task. And so I think when we define waiting, there's two kinds of waiting. There's, there's the expectant waiting because of a promise. Like the waiting on God means that God has spoken to us and I'm waiting for that promise to come to pass. If God has spoken to you, like maybe you're, here, you're single here today, you feel that God has spoken to you about not who and when, but what. When I was single, I remember like having a promise from God about the who, not about the who and about, wait a minute, about the what, and not the who and when. And I think as a single person, you're, I'm wondering like, when is that day going to happen, you know, when I'm going to meet Mrs. Wright, you know, or Mrs. Moore, you know. And uh, it's funny, it was because when I met her, I didn't even know it. She knew it, but I didn't even know it. You know, it's like, and that's another topic. Men really, men like, you know my wife's story. She met me, the first time she met me, God said, this is going to be your husband. But she never told anybody. She never told me, and I'm glad she didn't, because I would have been like, I would have left Poland. Yeah. I, been, I think I'm going to move to another country. Right now. I'm ready to go back. <laughs> I love Poland. And uh, we're going to go back, she man. Was in, she was in disbelief. No, she, was, she looked at me. It's funny because God was dealing with me on something else, and I had this really weird injury on my hand. So I looked like the RoboCop or something. I had this thing on my hand, and I was in Poland, and she saw me, and God spoke to her. And, and I don't even remember meeting her. I remember meeting her later. But the expected promise of God in our life that, that let God promise you something. Maybe we don't know the who and the when. But let him speak to you about the what. That's a good point, too. Like, you don't even remember meeting her. I mean, how do you remember me and Gosha? Like, right, truth be a big deal with you met. Well, I think that, I think my, me, I'm a little bit like, I don't know, you need to hit me a few times before I see something. Well, I, mean, I mean, I tell you, your mind wasn't in a place commodity, that huh? you were seeking for. You, so. Well, you weren't seeking it. Yeah, wasn't seeking it. It's just like the old thing everybody talks about. You find it when you're not looking. Like, what does that even mean? It's always from a married person, too. The second kind of waiting is is an abstract waiting because of the lack of communication. What does what does that mean? It means that I don't know what I'm waiting for. It's all abstract because there's no communication between me and God about it. Here, I think, is that the expectant waiting because there's a there's something there's there's a what that's been put in my heart. You know, like maybe the Lord has spoken to you about something in the future. You know. The what. But we don't know when, we don't know who, and we don't know how. And those are our answers that God answers. And so I just want to say that, like, like it's not wrong to expect things from God, especially when he puts it in his word. The waiting that we see in the word of God is an expectant waiting with an upright posture, as Spurgeon said, understanding that, that um, God's going to answer, God's going to speak, and I can, be, I can trust in that. And so... Waiting is this anticipation from God that something beautiful is going to happen. But on the other hand, during the waiting period, the devil just wants to beat you and I up. He wants to make, 
He wants to make our world really small. Um, I'm sure other pastors and other churches are dealing with the same thing. And I know they are. Like, you know, and we just have to understand this is God's church. This is not our work. And, and waiting on the Lord means that waiting for God to do it the way he wants to do it. And you know what? That's so beautiful because this afternoon I just had just so much freedom in my heart that, that it's like waiting on the Lord for what he wants to do. We know what the what is, but how to do it and when to do it with who and, and, and all those details is really God that. And so my question, our question right now in our life is not who's going to fill Judas's place. You know, that's not for me to answer. It's like God has a plan. I really believe, personally, my opinion is that Paul was supposed to take that place, the Apostle Paul. Um, and there's other commentators that say that as well. Um, if the disciples had just waited, not jumped the gun, then God would have brought this man into their midst in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 8 and 9 and 10, and they would have discovered, okay, Paul, Paul's the man. And so the second thing I just wanted to mention is, is that during the time of waiting is, is a time of renewal. Is that when we're waiting, God wants to renew our hearts and our minds. You know, um, suppose Peter doesn't say, look, let's, let's make this happen. Let's cast lots. You know what? I think the flesh, the flesh cannot wait. And the flesh, the flesh is bound to space and time. And, and it's bound to emotion. It's bound to everything that this world is made of. And so the flesh is very aware of its expiration date. Do you know what I'm saying? That the flesh knows there's an expiration date. I'm getting older. I mean, somebody said that to me today. They showed me one gray hair in their head. And they're like, I'm getting old. And they're like a whole 30 years old. I was like, knock it off. It's like you're not even old at all. Okay? And we are so aware, Colton, of our age. No, I'm joking. We're so aware. We're so. It's called wisdom. I mean, there's, there's, I mean our flesh is so aware of time. Because it's, it's, our flesh lives in, in time and space. And in my life, if I can't wait for something, I can be sure it's the flesh. You know, I can be sure it's my flesh. Because, like, here's, here's Elijah. He says to Ahab and he says to Jezebel, it's not going to rain. He doesn't, I mean, he says three years. Then he goes out and camps out in an oasis somewhere. And he's just being fed by a raven. It's like waiting on the Lord. And I think during this time, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to renew us. And we see this in second. I want to just I want to flip through a few scriptures with you here. Let's go to Second Corinthians chapter four, verse 16. And I'm going to read this. Second Corinthians four, verse 16. And I know that maybe some of you know these verses, but it's just refreshing to read them. Ephesians 4, verse 16. Uh, sorry, Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians four, verse sixteen. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Is your outward man perishing? Do you feel like you're dying? Do you feel like you're just disintegrating, waiting for God? Although our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed, day by day, day by day. This reminds me of. David, the way he talked in Psalm 51, verse 6, he said that God desires truth on the inward man and that he would give wisdom in the inward parts. Oswald Chambers, in one of his books, I can't remember which one it was, he makes this point. He says, he said that when we get saved, the first thing that God begins to go to work on 
is the center, the engine of our motivations. Okay, the heart. What is my motivation? The law of Moses, the law of Moses only handled, it only took care of, it only addressed our actions, our behavior. It never dealt with the heart. Jesus comes on the scene, Matthew chapter 5. If you hate your brother, you've killed him. Moses said, don't kill. But, I'm, but Jesus says, I'm saying that if you have a thought of, uh, a hateful thought towards your brother, you've already killed him. And so Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, brings in the new covenant, the grace of God, and he's dealing with the heart. And so when Jesus, when we get saved, the thing that God wants to start dealing with in our life is our motives. It's our motives. What are my motives? And the truth is, I as a believer, as a Christian, cannot define, I, I do not know my motives. Because just like without a mirror, we don't know what we look like, without the mirror of, the, of Jesus Christ and the Word of God, we don't understand what our motives are. And we can live in all of the crazy psychological games like, is that God? Is that not God? Is that a right motive? Is that not the right motive? And I remember going through that just before I, when I, when I, there was a season in my life where I had two major choices to make. One was about marrying my wife and the other one was about leading a team to go uh, into, into Ukraine. And I had all of these. I was so afraid that I had the wrong motives. It paralyzed me. I was so paralyzed. I was like, I was so shut down. I remember like becoming psychologically ill. I just remember being in Poland, just getting like ill, more and more ill, you know. And I thought, this is not right. Like, and I remember coming to the point, and I've shared this with you guys before. I just remember coming to the point saying, you know what? I don't know. I don't know my motives. I don't know if they're good. I don't know if they're bad. I mean, I don't know if 50% is good or 75% of my motives are good or if 100% are not good. And I just remember just resigning all of that to the Lord and saying, Lord, I don't know my motives. I do not know myself. Because when we read Paul saying to the Corinthians, he says, I don't judge myself. He says, it's a very small thing, Corinthians, that you're judging me because I don't even judge myself. He said, it's the Lord who judges me. And the Lord is very able to communicate to me if I'm off. And and so I love that freedom that I discovered in knowing that I don't know what my motives are. And so when God begins to go to work on our heart and he begins to overhaul the engine of our motives, that's the wording that Oswald Chamber uses, then it's a beautiful thing. And how does he do that? He does it in the waiting. He does it in the waiting. He does it in the waiting. How many years did Jesus wait before he went into ministry? 30 years. How many, minute, how many years of ministry did Jesus have? Three. So you can say 90% of Jesus' life, the Son of God, creator of the universe, 90% of his life was preparation. And I think that preparation, the quiet moments, the stillness, the waiting, the uncomfortability of it, the awkwardness of not knowing what's going on and not knowing what to say to people, like, what's, the, what's going on? What's the, what's the plan? And, and sometimes we just don't even know. We just say, you know what? Today... We're going to meet at 5 o'clock in Magnolia, and we're going to just praise the Lord. And that's all I know, you know, and that's all that I know. And the inward renewal is, is that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, is that the outward man is perishing. Oh, it's perishing, man. I tell you, it's just like, it's like not comfortable. It's awkward. It's ugly. It's yucky. And I wish it would be different. But there's something on the inward, the inward man that's being renewed. And what is that? Paul talks about it in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that the mind is being renewed. We're not being con- and when our mind is being renewed, we're not going to be conformed to the world. 
um, church planting, okay, church ministry. And I, all of us in this room are people that um, have been exposed to the world of, of, of churches. And, and, you know, like coming here, I'll be honest with you, coming to Texas, okay, our little, our church life and everything on the East Coast was the size of a church. If, if we had a thousand people in our church, that was a mega church. It's a big church. Coming to Texas here, several things happen. Number one, you begin to get the grasshopper complex. We are grasshoppers in their eyes, okay? And that's not the mind of God. Number two is, number two is, is that I can't tell you the amount of people in the four years I've met that need to tell me the way the church needs to be. Like, this is the way this, the way it needs you guys are new, you're just young, and you're just starting off. And let me tell you what this is supposed to look like. Point one, two, three, four, five. Everybody's expectations for, for the work of God. And I think that that can be an Uzzah, a spirit of Uzzah, where Uzzah puts his hands on the ark. And I think the way the church is supposed to look is the book of Acts. It's not supposed to look like this, or franchising churches, or this or that. But when we talk about what is Evergrace supposed to look at, Let's look at the book of Acts. Let's look at the Gospels, because that's Jesus Christ. And that's really what me as a pastor, that's what I want to emulate. That's what I want to see happen in our midst. That's what I want to see in our church life, is disciples meeting, praying, uh, preaching, uh, seeing people get healed, seeing uh, churches starting, traveling to places, and seeing house churches, and, and not only house churches, but churches begin and leaders being raised up. An inward renewal. What is the inward renewal? It's Ephesians 4, verse 23. It means that in my mind, there's a spirit. And this verse speaks to me so much that we are renewed in the spirit of our mind. Do you know that we live in a very intellectual culture? Okay, it's very intellectual. It's very technological. It's very heady, very cerebral, right? And that's why we're seeing so many mental issues with people more and more and more because there's more and more emphasis put on the mind, mind experiences and all of this stuff. But what's happening is that people forget that there's a spirit in the mind, and that spirit is a human spirit. It's a spirit that is renewed and quickened by the Spirit of God in Romans chapter 8. And our, the spirit of our mind on a daily basis needs to be renewed. It needs to be renewed. It needs to be quickened. It needs to be, it needs to be brought from here to here. It needs to, be, um, it needs to be quickened, renewed, regenerated, whatever word we want to use. Yeah. And that's when we look at the word of God and we say yes by faith. We say, I don't understand. I don't, know, I don't know why. But I just say yes to this. And even my emotions may be saying something else. And just remember, emotions don't think. Emotions are that part of our soul that are built to be the responders of the thought life. Whatever I'm thinking in my head, the emotions are going to witness to that. If I'm thinking wonderful thoughts with God, I'm going to have wonderful emotions. If I'm having horrible emotions... Um, and it's because maybe I'm having a horrible thought life. If you start thinking right with God and your emotions are still not, they're kind of just, R.A. Tory said it this way. He says, we got to take our emotions and we got to drag them like a screaming, like a screaming kid into the closet, to the foot of the cross. And think with God and your emotions are going to eventually submit to the thought of God in your soul. And so that's why the word of God is so paramount. The spirit of our mind, let's be renewed in the spirit of our mind and learn how that, learn how that works. Learn how to be renewed, however that looks in your life. Um, you know, like Colton has shared with us the little things that happened to him. 
like these things that God show them. And for maybe for some of us, it's like, okay, well, that's, that's a thing on the wall and like some graffiti. But for Colton, that God really renews his mind in that. Like the word of God is what renews our mind. When we hear the word and we just let it resonate in us and we say, yes, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. And that's okay to pray that way. When you, when you read the word, don't read it in the flesh. Because when we read the word in the flesh, we're like, okay, that's, that's another thing I got to do. It's another thing I got to do. And it's just like, we said, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's like, I can try to, in the energy of the flesh, apply something, or I can let Jesus live it through me through submitting, submitting to Christ. And so, and so being renewed in our mind that it's hard, it's difficult, there's lots of questions, and yet we surrender to God, and there's that renewal there's a peace that passes understanding. It's a peace that passes understanding. And we're okay, right? We're okay. And then the third thing is, um, is we are sanctified by simply waiting on God. This is sanctification, guys. We're waiting on the Lord. Sanctification is not what I'm preaching to thousands of people. That's not spiritual success. Okay, I think that some people think that when, when I'm like, Peter preaching in Acts chapter 2, speaking in all of these tongues or whatever, speaking to people with all the gifts, then I have arrived. No, we haven't arrived because we all know people that have done that and then have, uh, have careened off the side of the road and crashed into, crashed into oblivion. That's not success. Success is, is when there's no, when there's, when there's no um, validation or affirmation that I'm on the right road, but just the word of God. And it's like, I just know this is the will of God and I'm going to go forward. And, and this is sanctification. It means that when we are, it's like, you know, Christiana goes to my house thinking we're meeting there. She says, no, I'm going to go all the way to Magnolia. <laughs> I mean, it's just like we, we just go, we keep going, and we just we take the little bit that we know and we keep moving forward. And that sanctifies us and it sanctifies our emotions and it sanctifies our soul. And it... Um, um, waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. Waiting on God is not waiting for, okay, God, I'm waiting for that thing to come. Because when we get that thing in our life, then we just stop. We're no longer disciples. It's like God will give us a lot of things, and then we're going to discover that the thing that we really need is Jesus, is the body of Christ and the word of God. And so, um, I think that when people, when people say, I'm weary, I'm burned out, I'm tired, uh, I'm tired of this whole thing. And sometimes you hear um, servants of God or ministers or pastors say this. It's because they have not learned the secret of waiting on God. And, and, they, and, and we cave into the panic of not being able to wait on God. And when we make decisions out of panic and not waiting on the Lord, we get like Peter and we assume stuff. Like we start assuming. And I just want to say something about that is that. Like, when I refuse to allow the Word of God to point out my flesh and say, you know what, that's the flesh. And, Christian, you can't wait because you got to see something happen to validate what you think is successful too. And when I cave into that, when I cave into that, Matthias is going to be on board. Everybody's going to be happy for Matthias, but Matthias is not going to be used by God. He's just, he's a spectator. And because... The work of God is, is something that is, is, is not what we think is success. Acts chapter 2, that's what we've got to be like. That's what the church has got to be like. Acts 2, you know. 
And it's like when Acts 2 happens, it could be that no one's being sanctified in their inner life. And so I think that sanctification, spiritual maturity, is when we have learned to walk slowly. And I'm going to close with this. You know, walking slowly with God and not feeling like we have to be rushed. And we talk, we, I mean, we talked about this before, but the road to Emmaus, right? Here's Jesus walking with the disciples. Look what just happened. Jesus was crucified, suffered the most incredible human pain that anybody has ever suffered, laid down his life, three years of his life, poured out for his disciples, preaches, heals, did all this work, and then Jesus dies, and within, within 72 hours, people are walking out the door. <laughs> They're going the other direction, right? Now, Jesus could have panicked. He could have said, my gosh, you know, I did all this work. I laid down my life. I poured out my blood, and, and everybody's walking out on me. And he could, But no, Jesus starts walking with the disciples to the road to him. And he's got a timetable, you know. He's got to ascend. He's got, he's got a divine schedule to do. But he's in no rush. He's just in no rush. And he's going to talk with these disciples. And he's going to bear with them. He's going to interact with them. He's going to commune with them. Why? Because he's gentle. Gentle. This is a, just a big point I want to make here. Is that gentleness is really, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, long gentleness. And I just want to say that, that like Jesus is so gentle with us. And we see this in the life of Jacob, Genesis 33, verse 13. Remember when Jacob and Esau meet, right? Esau, what does he represent? What does Esau represent in the Bible? What does he represent to you guys? Just one word. Do you represent? Do you represent the flesh, the energy of the flesh, right? The good-looking guy, the guy on the horse, the successful hunter, the favorite of dad, you know, the he's a, he's a good-looking, I mean, he's got the looks and everything, he's got the strength, and Jacob and Esau meets, and it's a, they meet, and Jacob is relieved, and Esau says, you know, like, hey, let's go, he's on his horse, and Esau wants to go I forget where they're going. Uh, he wants to go, but he wants, but he wants, to, he wants to dictate the speed that Jacob and his family and all of his cattle are moving at. And Jacob says, "God, Esau, look." He says this. He said, "My Lord knows the children are frail." I was thinking about this the last few days. That God's children are so frail. We are so frail that we are like. We're clay. You look at us the wrong way, and we're just going to fall to pieces. You know what I'm saying? We're going to have like an emotional breakdown if you just look at me the wrong way, you know? And, and the Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and the herds are care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Can you imagine being that kind of a leader? Well, hey, Esau, like, and you know, the spirit of Esau is in, is in the world today. It's in Christianity. It's in Christianity. And what I mean by that is that there is this slick, powerful, manly, kind of strong, kind of like, let's get it done in Esau's spirit in Christianity. Like, we're going to do this. We're going we're gonna to knock it out. We're going to get Matthias in there. We're going to replace Judas. We got this. We got a plan. We're going to make it happen. We're going to do it. And this is the goal. This is the steps we get there. And this is the money we need, the budget we need. And I understand that. And I, it's great if it's motivated by love. But it could be just all Esau talk. It could just be all Esau talk. And, you know, if we try to chase that, I'm Jacob. That's just me. I'm not. I, there's no way I can keep up with Esau. If I try to keep up with Esau, the flock is going to die. And everybody, you know, in one day. And so I just want to close with this is that 
that waiting on the Lord is 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 where we're where we experience our sanctification, and we really have to address that impulse inside of us to to prove something like in the upper room to the other disciples. We have to push back. Maybe we feel like Jacob and we see Esau and we feel kind of like, oh man, I looks like, man, I look like such a, a loser or whatever because I can't keep up with Esau. And, and, and that is really not the spirit of God. Waiting on the Lord is, is that, is that I'm walking with the, I'm walking with the frail sheep and the ones that are nursing and care. Um, I'm walking with them. And if I overdrive them, if I overdrive them in one day, I'm going to lose everybody. I'm just going to lose everybody. So I think that the most important thing that we can really focus on in our life is, is really waiting on the Lord, not, not caving to the, that sense of panic that i got to do. Because, because the spirit of Esau is confusion. The spirit of Esau is confusion. It's, it's, it's impulsive. It's 90-degree angles. It's, it's like people can't follow that. And, and that's not the way God works with us. God walks with us. And I just I love what this one writer wrote. He's Japanese, and I don't necessarily agree with his theology at all, but he did make a very interesting illustration about the speed of God. How God is, how fast does God walk? It's three miles an hour, and that's the that's the speed that God that Jesus walked with the with the disciples to Emmaus. He's going to walk with us, and if and if we need to stop, he's going to stop. He's going to encourage us. He's going to renew us. And let's not cave into that thing like, hey, something's got to be a certain way. And, and um, but let's just rest in the Lord and wait for that. You know, Jesus has ascended and we're waiting for that day of power to come. And we don't know when that's going to be. And what does that look like? And, and, how, does that, and how does that work? And, and, uh, and so that's just, I hope you guys understood what I'm trying to say here. But that's just some of my meditations. Yeah.